0: welcome to the kelly patrick show thank you so much for tuning in in today's episode i am joined by derek wills from texas derek has his book the liberty solution was released in august of 2021 in today's episode we get to talk a little bit about derek's political background, where he's at politically now, and what the process of writing the book really did to help uh, his political evolution. Really enjoyable episode for me today. If you are a fan of The Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals, 502-386-0978. Welcome to The Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Derek Wills. Derek is the author of The Liberty Solution, released in August of 2021. We're going to be discussing his book today. Derek, how are you?
1: I'm doing very well, sir. How are you?
0: I am doing well. Really appreciate you joining me. Uh, The Kelly Patrick Show has been around since 2017. Originally kind of a combat sports show, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, MMA. But when the pandemic happened, and I I had always identified kind of as a Republican. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When the pandemic happened, I started to be like, what the fuck is going on type stuff? And I had a platform and I, I, this is probably isn't the best strategy for driving ratings, but I don't care. Um, I'm intrigued by the libertarian or anarcho-libertarian frame of thought and solutions and things like that. So that's right up your alley. Derek, if you could, could you introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience? Derek, who are you? That's a little bit of my backstory. Who the hell is Derek Wills?
1: Well, uh, first of all, thank you very much for the invite. I really appreciate it. Um, so I started off uh, as a Republican myself. I grew up in a very conservative household. Um, I remember very distinctly, uh, I was probably 12 years old or so, uh, and my brother had just turned 18, and he was uh, he was going to vote for the first time. And I remember asking him, well, who are you voting for? And my dad interrupted and said, Republican. And then my brother said, yeah, if you want to keep your money, you vote Republican. That was just that memory is so clearly in my head. Um, So that's kind of how my upbringing was. Um, And being in that type of family, I was um, very, very, very motivated to join the military right out of high school. You know, I wanted to serve something bigger than myself. I wanted to serve my country that I loved so much. Um, I, I loved history. I was always reading history. I was uh, enamored with the founding fathers and, the, and the, the origin story of the United States of America, right? It's this wonderful, just amazing, uh, almost like divinely influenced story that just seems so unreal, right? And, um, you know, I joined the Navy in 2005, a month after I graduated high school. And um, I remember on my first deployment, it was in 2006, and um, I remember we're steaming around, and we uh, are—I'm on a guided missile cruiser. We're the only ship in the North Arabian Gulf that is tasked with guarding an Iraqi oil platform. Now, there was a carrier strike group to the south of us that they were doing other things, but I'm sitting here wondering— what the fuck am I doing here? Uh, what does an Iraqi oil platform have to do with American liberty? Um, you know, I was still very much a Republican, but that's kind of the first time that I started to really question things. Um, there was a, a short time where I was—I I considered myself a, a 9-11 truther, like it was an inside job type thing. I kind of put that aside Um and I'll go into why a little bit later. But um, when I got out of the Navy in 2011, uh, I was still very much a conservative. I was no longer I no longer called myself a Republican. I was a constitutional conservative, you know, just trying to um, uphold the sacrosanct document that our founding fathers had uh, bestowed upon us. And, and, and you know, all about just I was hardcore about liberty, but I thought that it, this document this constitution was it you know the bill of rights the you know um and i was enamored with just diving into the history of it well then republicans kept on nominating people that i just didn't agree with fundamentally on a lot of things um and then in 2016 is when I really made the biggest change. Uh, I was already considering myself more libertarian, but uh, whenever Donald Trump got nominated, I was like, okay, I am officially I am officially done with republicanism. Um, and it's not so much that uh, it's not about orange man bat, right? It was about the Republican Party, who is supposedly this pro-liberty party, at least in my mind at the time, um, you know, talking... Nominating a guy that had written a book about how much he loved gun control—that was kind of the the root of it. But um, you know, there was a lot more to it than that. And 2016 was the first time I voted Libertarian. And um, it was that same year that I became a writer for a grassroots gun rights organization called Lone Star Gun Rights. I'm sorry, uh, oh, you uh,
0: said a grassroots gun rights organization. Okay, correct.
1: Um, Lone Star Gun Rights, they're still very active right now. Um, you know, they, their whole mission at the time that I joined was getting, uh, constitutional carry, permitless carry enacted in the state of Texas. Um, I had written a couple of op-eds at this point, um, just because I needed a, a, a means of venting and venting my frustrations, right. Um, to an audience that I thought would listen. So, I I penned a couple of op eds. I passed them around, and LSGR was like, Hey, you know, this is really good. You want to come write for us? Absolutely. So, I started writing for them. Uh, It wasn't long after I started their podcast for them. Um, And, uh, you know, it was a weekly podcast that I hosted for them, uh, basically giving them constantly updates on what's going on in the Texas legislature. Now, I realized that my Uh, base was far more conservative than I was. I was more libertarian at this point, having, you know, voted libertarian and I've just written off Republicanism entirely. Uh, And then the, uh, the shooting happened in Santa Fe high school in Santa Fe, Texas. And there was a, a, um, a rally that was uh, organized and I was invited to speak at this rally Um, it was about, it was called March for our kids and it was about opposing the knee jerk gun control action that, you know, everyone was, uh, touting at the time. I don't know if March for our lives was a thing at the time. Um, it was right around the same time. Uh, but anyway, uh, I went to speak at this rally. I I gave a speech about liberty and gun rights. Uh, and one gentleman gave me a compliment afterwards said, you know, uh, I loved your speech. I think you should write a book. And that's actually what was the first thing that got me to put pen to paper to write what became the Liberty Solution. At the time, again, I was still pretty libertarian. And uh, as I wrote the book, I, be, I found myself finding more and more problems with the state. Um, uh, And kind of a, a sidebar, uh, in 2018, I was lucky enough to be one of 245 people on the cover of Time magazine. Uh, for a project they did called Guns in America, which you can actually still find uh, online. Um, It was 245 people all across the cover, this massive fold-out cover of Time magazine uh, from all sides of the gun debate. Um, And we recorded monologues that are still online, which is really cool. Um, And then I decided to uh, focus more on my book. And um, in 2020, I was Pretty much, uh, I, I I had turned full anarchist by this point. Uh, I had discovered Murray Rothbard, uh, Walter Block, uh, all of these Lysander Spooner, all of these great anarcho um, philosophers, and I just kind of delved into their writings. And I was just like, you know, this actually makes a lot more sense and is much more at home for what I'm trying to find. Um, and then in 2020, the um, uh, the Garrett Foster tragedy happened. And that was what led to my departure from Lone Star Gun Rights because I, I was sickened by um, the response that the base was giving in response, you know, in response to to that tragedy. And I was like, "This guy was was more pro liberty than you are, and you're saying that you're, I mean, you're essentially celebrating his death." And could you, I, I could couldn't you
0: summarize what happened there, please.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, for those not familiar, um, this was really big at the time when. Um, uh, the BLM protests were in full swing, and um, Garrett Foster was a libertarian. He uh, he was very active in his community, and one thing that set him apart, and this is why I really identified a lot with him, and why I kind of take his death so personally, is that he was able to separate the BLM organization, which is a Marxist communist you know powerhouse, and the protests themselves, which are just about anti-police brutality. And, you know, he supported the message of the BLM protests, which is why he protested with them in Austin. And he had he had a quadriplegic wife, and he was pushing her in her, uh in her wheelchair. They were walking down the street in Austin. And um, Daniel Perry. Uh, took a right- hand turn into a group of protesters, almost hit somebody, didn't hit anybody but uh, Garrett was there to work security and he was trying to clear people out to see what had happened and before he could even do anything, Daniel Perry uh, shot him several times and killed him. and um, if you're this kind of resurfaced recently in uh, a couple of months ago um he was found guilty on his murder charges. And then Greg Abbott said, well, I'm going to pardon him. Um, and so it's kind of reopened those wounds for a, a lot of people that understood what Garrett was about. Uh, and then obviously reopened the cesspool that the the conservative talking points kind of threw out. And, so and really, anyway. regardless of
0: Garrett's political affiliation, the, the, the incident should be treated probably independent of political things i think right
1: yeah absolutely i i think that his political affiliation is is a bit important because I, I really would like for people to understand that there is a difference between the organization the black lives matter organization which is essentially a slush fund and a con group uh and the uh the blm protests they're two completely different things um and anyway, that's what led to my departure from Lone Star Gun Rights. I don't want to kind of I don't want to go off on a tangent on on that whole thing, but uh so I left Lone Star Gun Rights. Um I helped start a new page and a new podcast that kind of fizzled out after a little bit. Um but and then I finished my book in August of 2021. I published it and uh I also got Walter Block to write the foreword to it. Um which uh I still can't believe. Walter Block is is, is an amazing mind. He's a uh Um, He's an economics professor at uh, Loyola University in um, New Orleans, and uh, he has published, I think, over 1,500 peer-reviewed articles on economics, and uh, um, he has also written scores of books, uh, and so he – I'm really humbled that he was able to write the foreword. I know I kind of went off on a very long, in-depth background about who I am, so no, I apologize. That, that's but.
0: good. That's what the episode is about. What else? Um, that That's kind of what brought you to the point of writing the book. You said you evolved over the course of writing yeah. the book. And um, my goal with the Kelly Patrick show a lot of times is to get people to listen, hopefully, who are not libertarian and are not anarchists. So they're maybe a Democrat or a Republican or they are undecided or whatever you want to say. Right. Um, One thing I've noticed is when I tell people, like family members, if I have an uncle I haven't seen in years and he asks, you know, something political and I say, I'm a libertarian, I get kind of a cringy response like, oh, well, that's a waste of time. (laughs) Um, But since I also have evolved into more of just calling myself an anarchist recently, when I say I'm an anarchist, that gets even more of a cringy waste of time type response what are your thoughts on that
1: um you know I I get the same thing and honestly I, I my belief is what's more of a waste of time actually aspiring to have Liberty or continuing to do the same methodology of voting for this lesser of two evils over and over again or if you, you want to include the libertarian party in that uh you know voting to make a change uh and expecting a different result it's it's not going to happen um you know i would i'm going to full on say it i would much prefer a libertarian society a libertarian statist society versus what we have now but even then i would still advocate for an anarchy um just because it's statism generally is incompatible with the very foundation of liberty uh um, which is which i want everybody to I want everybody to come together and at least hear what what this is about. You know, uh, I say in the uh, in the preface of my book that um the message is for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, libertarian, something anything in between, you know, the message of liberty is for you. it it really is for everybody. It's your birthright. you know, uh, it doesn't matter what your ideology is you are entitled and you have the natural right to live your life as you see fit without fear of retribution from other people uh, or the state for that matter.
0: Okay. So could you elaborate? What is the Liberty Solution? What do you talk about in the book when you say the Liberty Solution? Uh, Sure. So what do you mean by that? And what do you cover?
1: So uh the book is actually separated into two parts. Uh part one is entitled uh grievances against the state. And I go into various different uh ways that the state either currently does or has in the past um infringed on our natural rights in some way or another. Chapter one is very basic. It defines what liberty is and and sets that foundation uh and then As the subsequent chapters come through, it applies that to each chapter. So you know, chapter two uh, is is called the destruction of property and how the state violates our property rights. uh, You know, in in egregious ways, different ways from um, civil asset forfeiture, eminent domain, to TSA screenings, to NSA bulk collection of metadata. You know, all of those things uh, that the state does and and why it's so evil and why it violates our natural rights. You know, three talks chapter three talks about taxation, Um, you know, how the very notion of taxation violates your right to property for, you know, for example. And I go through uh, various different subjects. Um, I talk about the Federal Reserve um, and how they have um, manipulated and devalued our property through uh, devaluation Um, I talk about the right to life uh, and not from not from an abortion standpoint. I do go into abortion, but it is a very it's late in a much later chapter. This is more about uh, capital punishment, gun rights, things like that. Um, I talk about the legal system. You know, uh, it's called the justice system, but I don't feel like it has any semblance of justice around it. I talk a little bit about my philosophy surrounding justice itself um, and how it's a man-made construct, whereas you know everybody's familiar with the the end of the Pledge of Allegiance that says "with liberty and justice for all," and you know we think of liberty and justice going hand in hand, but you know liberty is this natural thing that we all have, and justice is our bet, is a man-made construct for our best attempt at uh, giving repentance and retribution for any sort of liberty violation. It's flawed. Uh, and I go into that a little bit, um, but uh, I do talk about. Um, I, I also talk about uh, immigration and the right to travel. I talk about foreign interventions and some of the awful atrocities that uh, the U.S. government has has committed since 1953 abroad. Um, I go into a little bit about my time in the military and um, how I you know how nobody in the military actually serves our country we we are pawns in a political game um you know we are brainwashed into believing that what we're doing is noble and good and um it's not it's 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 evil and th- what makes it even more evil is that we're conditioned to believe that it's good and we're we're acting under these orders that um we think is for the greater good for defending american liberty and it has nothing to do with any of that Part two is called The Solution to the State, and I go into a philosophical explanation of how a stateless society would work. Um, You know, a lot of people have concerns about anarchy. You know, they talk about, well, if anarchy happens, then the warlords will take over. And my rebuttal is, you mean like the warlords in Washington, D.C. right now that have taken over? Um, You know, that is statism. Or... You know who will fund basic infrastructure? Well, that there are ways of doing that. What about law enforcement and uh, torts? And you know, if somebody gets murdered, how do you deal with that? What you know, I talk about how the how justice is a man-made construct. How do you deal with that in an anarchist society? So I talk about all these various things uh, and explain in ways it can be accomplished by also saying this is just one idea there are infinite ideas on how this can work and that's ultimately what makes it beautiful uh is because the culture itself has the ability to uh create their own solutions to these things uh while still championing championing the foundation and uh um uh, the foundation of liberty in across the entire spectrum um and uh yeah, that's, that's essentially the book uh, from start to finish. Um, does that kind of answer your question?
0: That certainly does, and there are so many different directions.
1: <laughs> I can yeah.
0: take that because,
1: like I said,
0: over the past few years, I've delved into the world of anarcho-libertarianism, and, it, of course, you get questions like uh, my daughter the other day was asking me about the abortion topic. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to articulate to her and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I said that Ron Paul's description would be that abortion is of course, horribly inhumane. He does not agree with it. He's not a fan as I also am not a fan of abortion. Doesn't Mm -hmm. sound pleasant. I would say arguably, especially like the day before the birth, you know, I, I would say that Mm -hmm. in my opinion, that is murder. Um, However, the libertarian solution, which I guess isn't even a solution, would be to kind of back off and, and, and to, yes, maybe that'll happen. Should my tax dollars go towards someone else's abortion? Certainly not, in my opinion. Certainly not at all. Not a penny, ever. However, I'm not a fan of necessarily having a law preventing anything from happening. Uh, does that make right. sense? What do you think of my description? How would you handle? I know you addressed it in your book, but how would you right. handle that when I was describing it to my 15 year old daughter?
1: No, I, I think that's a great setup for it. Um, you know, I t- I also I talk about um, my beliefs on uh, the abortion situation while also separating my personal beliefs from the philosophical and You know how they apply to liberty. You know the thing with liberty is is it ultimately means that people will act in a manner that you don't agree with, in a way that you don't like. You might even find it morally bankrupt. But morals and liberty are completely independent. Morals are 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 uh, essentially personal, whereas liberty that is for everybody. And you know you don't have to exercise a particular liberty but you still have the liberty right it, it's it's different from your moral philosophy your moral compass your moral understanding um so i do believe and i say this in the book that uh that when an abortion happens it doesn't matter at what stage it is taking a life but i also uh essentially echo a lot of what walter block talks about in that um it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle uh and it is a natural right that the uh, pregnant individual has uh because of the fact that it is their body and they have the ultimate say as property owner of that body of what stays and what goes um you know Walter Block called it evictionism I um, I I subscribe to that idea. I don't know if I particularly like that label for it. I think it sounds a little crass. Uh, But ultimately, the philosophy is sound, you know. Uh, And I draw an analogy in my book that let's say um, your brother or you have a loved one, doesn't matter who, uh, is terminally ill. And let's call it a matter of fact. Like, it is not subjective. It is objective fact that you are literally... The only person on the face of the planet that can give him adequate care, and you voluntarily bring him into your home to give him that care, do you have the right to change your mind? I would argue absolutely because you volunteered to give them care, you volunteered to give them resources, your labor, your money, your, you know, whatever resources you have available. And at any point, something can change, and it's no longer uh, it's it's no longer it, it's no longer desirable for you to do that. It doesn't matter what changes, whether you don't have the resources anymore and just physically can't, or you have a change of heart and you're like, uh, I don't care anymore. Whatever the case may be, you still have the right to change your mind. Um, and to me, that's kind of the. A good analogy for the abortion issue: Yes, you had the choice to have unprotected sex with somebody, uh, and you got pregnant, and that was a voluntary choice. But you have the right to change your mind on giving care, giving resources to the unborn child. Um, and even if that means that their life, to, you know, their life stops, you should not be compelled to give them resources that you do not want to give because they are your resources to give hope that makes sense
0: it does make sense and really it, it what it addressing that issue and having a, a articulate rational take on that issue I think is important and, and, and what I mean by that is it's arguably the most controversial emotional topic known to man at least in our country okay but what you just articulated, basically Walter Bloch's evictionism type approach or description of it. it, it's not pleasant at all. You said it's crass. No. It, it is. It's not pleasant. I'm sorry to anyone listening. That is not pleasant. And if you're not a fan of abortion, by all means, don't get one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at its core, from a liberty angle, I could take this in a lot of different ways, man. Um, (laughs) At its core, from a Liberty angle, there is a solution to it, okay? Yeah. Okay, and and what that rang in my head was this. My stance on Ron DeSantis and the over-sexualization of children in our schools, I have two kids in public schools here in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm not a fan of public schools at all all and if they had a drag queen come into the school and read to them or I find out one of my teachers of my my kids classes is maybe gender fluid and they're trying to talk to my kids about it or you know anything like that I would be furious I'm not a fan of that at all and I think the people who are pushing that are fucking weirdos full disclosure however unpleasant reality is Um, we have public schools, which I hate. I'm not a fan of public schools at all. And to try to come in and apply additional laws to those public schools to prevent what you don't like, (sighs) maybe overstepping some uh, liberty-centric type important uh, 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 foundations of our country. Does that make sense? I I may have not described that well, but I think you could apply similar logic to a lot of different topics. One of them would be the laws passed in Florida. I'm an anarchist, admittedly right-leaning anarcho-libertarian, and I'm not a fan of, of, uh, uh, um, Ron DeSantis trying to tell, um, schools, what they can and can't do. Not because I'm woke, not because I'm trying to score points on some woke scale or impress my lefty friends at all. I don't give a fuck about that. Or At least I like to think I don't. But I hate public schools so much that they're almost a lost cause. Like, just back off, man. You can't apply more rules to a system that's already completely broken. Just back off. What are your thoughts on that topic?
1: Uh, which topic in particular? Now, okay, uh, the,
0: the Ron DeSantis <laughs> applying rules to the public schools in Florida. Uh, uh, All right, type, so type topic.
1: Right, so I I don't think public schools should exist. Period. Agreed. Um, but uh, I I I I will kind of take this into a, a bit of a challenge for you uh, regarding the whole drag queen and and gender fluidity thing, uh, and. I get a lot of hate for this and, and it, it's really sad to me, but you know, whatever Um, you know, I don't have a problem with drag Queens reading to children. I don't have a problem with um, if a minor wants to have a conversation about their gender identity with be that with their parents or with somebody they feel comfortable with. I do say in the book that ultimately children own themselves. Parents don't own their children. Uh, because that would make a master-slave relationship. I don't think that we should abolish the cultural uh, understanding of this de facto hierarchy that we've established between parent and child by any means. But that is to say that ultimately the child, the person, they they have their natural rights from the day that they are alive. Um. Parents should guide their children. Parents should help mold their children into being good, upstanding individuals. Um, But ultimately, the decisions to be made are up to that individual. It doesn't matter their age. Uh, and this is where statism kind of gets a little... Uh, I don't know the proper word for it. It gets a little dicey because now we're talking about... Um, We're talking about miners and, you know, I can already hear a few wood chippers starting up and believe me, I'm right there with you. I'm not I'm not saying that we should, uh, you know, make it okay for um, culturally okay for a seven year old to uh, do whatever they want. I don't think that. We have this cultural de facto hierarchy between parent and child that we should keep, but it should not be something that is enacted by law and enforced by the state, if that makes sense. I want to before we get it too deep into this, I want to make sure that that foundation is understood. OK, we're, I think cool that's, a, that. that's
0: a very important uh, um uh, a point. I've recorded episodes recently with one in particular. I won't name who it is, but a Republican friend of mine. Great guy. Great guy. Mm-hmm. And actually two of mine fit the bill for this that I've recorded with recently okay and they they are fans of DeSantis's uh, uh, actions in Florida okay and I get it mm-hmm. I do like if if I have to send my kids to a school and I'm a good father and I see when I drop them off there's some guy with pink hair and like a, a pride shirt on doesn't mean I hate gay people um, who's then you know, and then I ask my kid afterward hey did you know how's that that guy, is he nice? Yeah, he's nice. Sometimes he talks to us about uh gender identity and asks us our pronouns and stuff. That would piss me off. That would. So I can't I, don't, I can relate to that. I can. Because yeah. sexuality, I teach kids jujitsu. Mm-hmm. I'm around kids all the fucking time. I'm a heterosexual mm-hmm. male. I don't ever fucking say, hey, um, Yeah, I don't touch the topic about sexuality at all with the kids. Okay, so I get that entirely. So the Republicans, angry Republican uh, uh, parents who don't like the topic being brought up with their kids, I do definitely get it. And I can relate. I teach jujitsu to kids as young as uh, age four, sometimes three, all the way up through age 17, 18. Okay, so I mean, I I have opportunities to touch the subject. I don't do it. And if someone's going to do it with my kids, I, you know, that would be an issue. I'm pro abolishing the entirety of the government. Okay, so I don't like additional rules being thrown in to try to shape society. Well, the left is going to control it now. We need to shift it back toward the right, having more control. I I just don't like that at its core. Is that a good description?
1: Yeah, I I understand it. Um, I don't I don't disagree. Uh, I think where my disagreement is is just the topic of gender identity um i i don't think that it should be unsolicited i would be uncomfortable if um if somebody was having an unsolicited conversation with my child about gender identity but uh if my child was asking somebody about it asking their teacher about it uh, i would feel differently and i would probably wonder how come my child isn't asking me or me or his parent his other parent Mm -hmm. you know uh you know that would be a different different thing uh and and if it was unsolicited i would be interested in knowing how it was brought about uh you know if it's just a generalized you know here are some things that uh as regarding gender identity that we need to discuss uh you know kind of as a matter of curriculum uh you know like you know like you would on a basic biology class um This would actually be getting a little bit more into advanced biology if you were to if it were to be a part of the curriculum. So I wouldn't have an issue with that. I think that we get a little dicey and a little uh, impassioned whenever it comes to um, the generalized ideas that we don't think about how those ideas would actually look like in reality. Uh, and yeah, I, I think we're kind of getting a little off topic, so I apologize. And and that's okay.
0: I'm going to move on to another topic. I know that is the, (laughs) what we just attempted to tackle is the issue that'll make listeners their blood boil the most. So before we move on to my next topic, do you want to, uh, summarize, or do you want to say anything else about that before I move on to my next topic?
1: Yeah, I would just, I I would just leave it at, at this. Ultimately everybody owns themselves right uh they are the owner of their bodies so they have the ability to make decisions for themselves uh that they feel are necessary if um you know if you believe that uh actually i'm not going to go there that might be a little too uh forward and and maybe a little too presumptuous too so i'll i'll kind of leave it at that uh, and that w- I would just say it also includes uh, and it, it does include minors if they do feel um, a certain way. Chances are there's a reason behind it. It could be a phase, but it could also be very real to them. Um, and it should be something that you should discuss with your kids. they will just leave it at that. that. Okay. Is that fair?
0: Very fair. Yeah, I definitely think it's an interesting topic because since I've become so Immersed in this world of anarcho libertarianism, when the topic has gained traction recently, I have had a different view on it than my Republican friends, my, especially mm-hmm. my buddies, you know, that I grew up with. And you know, I, I do; I have a different view on it. I'm not like, "Yay, uh, uh, they're shutting down; they're putting in more rules to control what they can do at the school." So it's an interesting topic, yeah. nonetheless. I will move on, um, Derek. You said in 2016, for the first time in your life, you voted for a libertarian. That was Gary Johnson, correct? Correct. I, okay, so we're both anarchists, right? We are, yes. So in a way, voting doesn't make sense.
1: No, it does not. I don't vote anymore.
0: Okay, okay. <laughs> my strategy is I call myself an anarchist, but I might be a fake anarchist. And you tell me what you think of my strategy. Of course, you know, we disagree on it. That's fine. Um, I live in Kentucky. I made sure to be registered as a Republican so I could vote for Rand Paul in the primaries. Does that okay. Make, does that make me not anarchist?
1: I wouldn't say that that makes you not an anarchist. I think that that's not an anarchist thing to do. But okay. you know, if you have a if you have a rationale behind doing something, you're your own person. You can do what you want. Yeah, of course. Uh, but- if 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 ultimately you believe, hey, uh, I would love to see the state abolished, but uh, in this particular instance in this scenario, I'm going to cast a vote for this person for these reasons. I don't think that that's not I, I don't think that that makes you a single act doesn't make a person one thing or another. okay it's their philosophies, right So if your philosophy is you want to abolish the state, you're an anarchist um you know, I have thought uh I I don't vote anymore, but I have thought that, um you know right now in Texas, there is a push to legalize gambling in the state. Uh, It would require a constitutional amendment which would require people voting to approve in our state. I have thought that if that comes to the ballot, that I might go vote for it just because it would be a more pro-liberty thing. Does that mean that I'm no longer an anarchist because now I'm voting to change the state constitution to allow for gambling? No. It just means that Okay, I I have I've found a rational reason that I believe to vote for something or some person to do something or some act., um, you know, it's it's a single action. It doesn't make or break an entire philosophy.
0: Okay, My next one may be more of a stretch, but you tell me what you think. I now have switched effective yesterday. I switched my registration to being Democrat. Okay. So in March of 2024, when Joe Biden, I think, will primary against RFK Jr.
1: You're going to vote for RFK Jr.? I'm going
0: to vote for RFK Jr. in the Democratic primaries because I think if we end up with a RFK Jr. versus Trump as the two Democrat and the Republican candidates type presidential election... I think that would be better for the future of our country, although neither of them are anarcho-libertarian really at all. But what are your thoughts on that?
1: Again, a a single act doesn't make or break somebody's philosophy. I think that what you're doing is um, you are acting with the cards that you're dealt, whereas I'm refusing to play. You know, um, we both both have the same feelings towards the game. Um, And... That's completely fine. If you want to continue to uh, play the game and switch your uh, political affiliations around to cast votes uh, to drive uh, the political outcomes a certain way, that's entirely your choice to do. Um, I don't have any negative judgments for you for doing that. I don't I mean, that's essentially that's your business. And uh, I would not say that you're not an anarchist because you do that. I would just say you're playing the game and you're doing it for your own reasons, and that is your
0: choice. Do you think if RFK Jr. was the next president of the United States, he would be a better president for our country than Joe Biden?
1: Um, You know, if you had asked me this question and I was me from five years ago, I would probably have a better answer for you. I really don't know and i i really don't care i'm sorry to to say that i I really that's why
0: i'm asking yep
1: i've stopped i have completely unplugged from the world of politics almost entirely um you know i i used to be so ingrained in it Like, like when i was with lone star gun rights you know i was constantly keeping up with bills in the texas legislature bills in congress you know what are the political pundits talking about what are they doing what are the political leadership i i was just so in ingrained in it all that whenever i officially left lsgr i stopped caring i i really don't know what rfk jr t- even stands for okay. um i i I think I saw a tweet one time uh, that popped up recently that he said something about um, supporting gun control. And then I saw something else that was, you know, it all doesn't matter to me. Uh, To me, they're all liars. They're all thieves. They're all evil people. So it's like, uh, to me, it's kind of like asking, would it be better if you had, um, you know, evil person number one or evil person number two? I don't know how to answer that. They're both evil people, you know?
0: Okay, uh, Corona is what prompted my uh, uh, myself to become radicalized.
1: Uh-huh.
0: If someone's listening and they are a, re- a Republican who would defend the way that Trump, the Trump administration handled Corona, what would your response to that be? Do you think Trump was good for Corona? The way he handled oh, it? Oh, hell no. Why not? Hell no. Why not?
1: He he was the one who, in, who encouraged lockdowns at the beginning. Uh, not only that, he was the reason that uh, six or eight trillion dollars was fabricated out of thin air and dumped into the economy. You know, that wasn't Joe Biden. That was Donald Trump. Uh, no, he was horrible at it. Not that any of the governors were any better. Some were actually worse. But. Well, I, I guess that's relative, you know, worse is relative in this point because, uh, yeah, the governor of California may have crippled their economy, but they didn't print trillions of trillions of trillions of dollars either. Uh, so I guess pick your poison, right? But they they were all atrocious. Every one of them was atrocious. So, um, you know, the sad part is, is that I could go back and dig up all the articles talking about this and give them to said individual that you're talking about and they would attempt to justify it even though they criticize Joe Biden for doing the same thing uh and it's 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 very disheartening for me uh whenever i i speak to people like this because i really don't want to start any sort of uh, pointless banter back and forth and that's what almost every political t- conversation turns into these days you know I I want to be able I I want to talk to somebody and whenever I pr- present them with new information they go oh because I approach every conversation that way even though I've written a book and I've changed my mind and I talk about it in the book where I changed my mind on on certain issues is because I was brought new information and my research for it and even now, Even as solid as I am in my philosophy, if somebody brings me new information that I have not considered yet, I'm going to go, hmm, interesting. I'd like to look more into that. But nobody does that anymore. And, you know, the, the Trump supporter that you're hypothetically speaking of likely would not. And it's so sad to me. And I don't know. I don't know how to fix that. I really don't. You are
0: in Texas now. Yes. And gun rights are important to you.
1: Very much so. That's what essentially got me started.
0: This hypothetical Trump supporter who's listening now voted in 2016 for Trump because gun rights are also important to him. In 2020, he voted for Trump again. Gun rights are a big issue for him. And for 2024, this same guy, hypothetical guy we're talking about is going to vote for Trump a third time and once again near the top of his list of what's important is the second amendment what are your thoughts on that what would you say if you did have the chance to describe what your thoughts are on trump and his relation to
1: gun rights Uh, i would highlight how atrocious trump has been both before he was elected on gun rights and after he was elected on gun rights you know he wrote in his books uh, and this was ultimately what got me to leave Republicanism entirely in 2016. He wrote in his books how he supported waiting periods, how he supported uh, more stringent background checks, how he supported assault weapons bans. And then as president, he bans bump stocks after Obama's ATF said they were fine. He bans bump stocks. Then. He, uh, and before that, he also said, I like taking the guns early. Take the guns first, then worry about due process. He also, and this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, but I still know it deep down because at the time I was very much into the gun rights uh, world. He signed what was called the Fix Nix Bill, which incentivized states. Nix is the background check system that that we all go through whenever we go to buy a gun from an FFL. He signed this bill that incentivized, not accurately, but all state dumping of records into the national background check system. Doesn't matter if they're accurate or not. So essentially what it does is if somebody has a similar enough name to you, you could get flagged on a Nix check and have to prove that you are actually legally allowed to have a gun. That is very much against the whole um, idea of innocent until proven guilty. Now you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent just so you can buy a gun. Trump also did that. And you, if you don't think that he, that if, if, if you honestly believe he's playing seven-dimensional underwater back, backwards chess, yeah, I I really, I don't have any hope for you. I I really, I really don't. Am I hearing you
0: correctly? Was the Obama administration better for gun owners than the Trump administration?
1: Obama actually never enacted any real gun control. The only thing that he really did in his administration uh, had to do with uh, people on Social Security. Uh, It was still bad, uh, but it wasn't. It didn't make people into felonies overnight like Trump did. Trump literally made people into felons overnight. And, um, you know, I would also highlight to anybody that's a Republican that talks about how much gun rights are important to them. I would also highlight how Reagan um, also supported and enacted numerous amounts of gun control legislation. And I would encourage them to uh rethink their entire standing on that issue. Because honestly, gun control has never in this country has never passed without Republican support. Ever. Then it goes all the way back to the National Firearms Act of 1934. Uh, you know, talk about Reagan. He he enacted, he is the reason you can't carry a gun in California today, was because of Ronald Reagan. Reagan also essentially banned select fire weapons they used to be controlled entirely by the nfa you just had to pay a 200 tax stamp now they have to be manufactured prior to may of 1986 which means there's a very finite supply and that's why any select fire weapon costs about twenty thousand dollars instead of seven eight hundred bucks which is what it used to cost in today's dollars um and uh, he also Reagan also supported the assault weapons ban of 1994 that Clinton enacted. He uh, supported the gun free school zones act, which made it a federal offense to carry a gun inside a public school, which was signed by George Bush. So gun control's never been <laughs> enacted without Republican support. And any any Republican who says gun rights are my issue. Well, you need to rethink where you align.
0: OK, Derek, so. Most of my Republican-leaning friends would say, and I've had them say it to me recently, sure, I I don't think someone who's clinically insane should be able to go in and buy a gun. So I'm okay with the background check. Um, But, you know, I think we, so basically they're saying that them themselves and people who are not insane should be able to buy guns, but, you know, pretty easily. That's their take Mm -hmm. on it. That's I would say that's almost the official Republican stance on it. Uh, Of course, Derek, you would present the strategy that anybody should be able to buy a gun at any times. Why is that? Why is that so important? And why so extreme? If someone has a history of using a, a violent weapon to commit crimes, should they be able to buy a gun?
1: So that's always the question that's asked. And I always find that to be the wrong question to ask. To really understand the issue, should so and so be allowed to buy a gun? Should X person, if they've done Y, be allowed to buy a gun? The real question is: Does X person have the right to defend them, their life, and their property? Yeah, that's a resounding yes. Like if well, you were
0: asked, if, if they're not
1: incarcerated,
0: they're public. You know, I told my daughter this. I was trying to say: Imagine a man uh, robs a, a liquor store, and he does twenty years. Mm-hmm. Then he gets out. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to do the right thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be rich. He's probably going to live in a rough neighborhood. Maybe he may live in a rough neighborhood. Are you suggesting that individual should not be allowed to defend themselves knowing everybody else around them probably has guns? Or should they be coerced into illegally obtaining a gun? Uh, uh, which, of course, recidivism, I mean, they'll end up right back in prison. I mean, yeah. what? So, what? it's not that hard to get a a, a, a weapon illegally in the United States. I think that's an important part of this conversation. But what do you think of my description there, that the guy who knocked off a liquor store 20 20 years for armed robbery gets out, why should he not be able to, once again, like you said, why should he not be able to protect himself under the law?
1: Yeah, so actually I have a very good anecdotal story that I was really involved in uh, towards the, you know, when I was with Lone Star Gun Rights. Uh, There was a guy uh, named Hakeem Dumas in Slidell, Louisiana. Um, He he had had an argument with his ex-wife, and he took his son to a friend's house. His uh, son's mother hired two people to kidnap the child. Hakeem Dumas used a firearm and killed one of them and wounded the other. The Sheriff's Department that investigated said this was a good shoot. This was perfectly within the the scope of the legal framework, you know. But Hakeem Dumas was a felon. And uh, whenever I ran with this story talking about how he was a felon and now he's facing prison time for defending his son from being kidnapped. Everybody's first question was, well, what was his felony? Well, it turns out that his felony was drug-related and there was no violent component. But I always ask the question, would it matter? You know, if he had done time for armed robbery, if he had done time for homicide, doesn't matter. Would he have lost the right to defend his son in this scenario? And the answer is no. He would not have lost his right to defend his son in this scenario. But now he is and. Uh, I don't know ultimately what happened to him. This was several years ago, and he was facing charges, fell in possession of a firearm, and uh, possessing a firearm with an obliterated serial number. And he was facing up to, I think, 25 years in prison for those Um, because he defended his son. And it was just like you said, being coerced into um, having to break the law again to get the tools that you deem necessary to defend yourself and defend your family and your property. And it's it's sad because things like this really do happen. So why am I so extreme? Because who's to say, you know, if you, you talk about mentally ill, who creates the line of where mental illness begins and normal, quote-unquote, people begin? Hell, I've got, uh, you know, I, I, I've got some... Um, some issues with anxiety and depression on occasion. Should I not? Should I have my firearms forcibly removed from my house? A vet with PTSD. Um. Uh, should um. You know what about what about a a woman who just gave birth and has postpartum depression? What about uh a rape victim? She was just a victim of rape. She didn't have her gun on her at the time, so she became a victim. Should should she have her? Guns taken away from... What about a trans person? Everybody talks about how trans, being trans is a mental illness, which I don't personally agree with, but for the sake of argument. Should they not have the right to defend themselves? Could you imagine if um, you know, somebody in uh, the Pulse nightclub in Orlando several years ago had been armed? But no. We all want to talk about these bullshit feel-good talking points that ultimately make no difference. And that is how bad public policy comes into fruition. We always, oh, it sounds good on paper. Let's run with it. Yeah, it sounds good on paper that we shouldn't allow uh, guns in schools because the guns are, guns are for, uh, or schools are for places to learn. They're not war zones. But uh, what if somebody makes it one? You know, who, and ultimately, here's another question. To anybody who says X person should not be allowed to have a gun. Who are you to make that decision for them? Who are you to tell them what is necessary and unnecessary for the defense of their life and their property and their family? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You are nobody to them. You have no authority to tell them one way or the other.
0: I told one of my Trump-supporting friends... Recently, he said that he supports, back, you know, minimal background checks. And I said, oh, well, are you going to vote for Trump? Well, yeah, I am. Well, what if the Biden administration comes down and they say, well, January 6 rioters and the people who supported Trump, that is, in fact, a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. So, of course, a member, a proud member of a terrorist organization, organization is not
1: allowed to have a gun, right? (laughs) And
0: I don't think that's that far off.
1: No, it's not. It's not. Hell, um, the FBI essentially, uh, look at Martin Luther King. He was labeled a domestic terrorist and was forbidden from possessing a gun. And that was in the 60s before we really had any of these laws. He was denied several times. From being able to purchase and carry a gun, he still ended up doing it. But I mean, everything's subjective. And and uh, and here is a question that I ask every status that I come across, and we get into this type of conversation: What power are you comfortable giving your uh, philosophical opponents? What power over your life are you willing to give your philosophical opponents?
0: Zero because
1: the answer should be zero. It should be zero because if if, (laughs) ultimately here's what statism is. Statism is the idea that somebody who doesn't even know you exist, doesn't know your name, doesn't know what you look like, doesn't know anything about your family, has no idea that you exist They have more of a say over your life, your body, and the fruits of your labor than you do. That goes for every representative in Congress, every senator in the Senate, everyone on the Supreme Court, the president of the United States, everyone in the state legislatures, everyone in the governor's and lieutenant governor's offices, everyone on city council. Everyone has more of a say over your life, your body, and the fruits of your labor than you as the individual do. Are you okay with that?
0: Once again, I, I would think the answer should definitively be no, but and, and when, put it like, when it's put like that, obviously, I think many people would say no, but then applying that type of logic in a consistent manner with your approach to everything else is where the gray area comes in. Someone says, like I said, they claim they're a fan of the Second Amendment, but then they are proud to vote for Trump, or they they Trump's a businessman and they want to shrink the size of government, so they vote for Trump. So it's just inconsistencies everywhere, and it applies. Mm-hmm. We're picking, of course, a lot on the Republicans today, um, right? But there's many examples of this that apply to the to the left also when it comes to absolutely vo- when it comes to voting. You voted for Obama because he said he was gonna he was anti uh, spying on our citizens or he was anti war. <laughs> That was a good one, right? Yeah. Obama absolutely. ran on a very anti-war platform which in hindsight can be viewed in no other way than laughable.
1: Yeah. Um yep.
0: So, I, I mean, th- this can go in a lot of different directions, but I, I'm up against the end of the episode. Derek Wills, the name of the book is The Liberty Solution, available to be purchased everywhere online, I assume, released in August of 2021. Derek Wills, before we wrap things up, do you have any closing words, any uh, any social media plugs or anything you'd like to mention?
1: Uh, Yeah, so you can get the book on Amazon or on Audible. Uh, I did have the uh, the... I recorded the audio book and it comes with a little PDF as well so you can see some of the graphs and charts that I put out. Um but also um I am trying to get a, a new venture going called Ancap Air. Um I'm pursuing my pilot's license uh sometime soon. Uh got to get the funds in order but uh I'm on Twitter at Ancap Air, I'm on Instagram at Ancap Air, A N C A P A I R. Um you can find me there and um yeah, uh, it's been it's been fun. I appreciate you having me on, man. I
0: I appreciate you coming on once again, Derek Wills. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.